0: all right go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 1 Romans chapter 1 last week we began our study on the monarch of books why the King James Bible There's a reason why it's called Bible and not version, as the subtitle. Why the King James Bible is our final authority. Last week, we took a look at what is a final authority. What is the concept of a final authority? What does that even mean? Because as we saw last week, that's a phrase we've used a ton. That's a phrase we use a lot here. And as we saw, there's actually a lot of churches that will say that exact phrase. But just because somebody says it doesn't mean that they actually believe it. Just because somebody says it doesn't mean that their definition is the same as our definition. Doesn't mean it's the definition. And, And as a side note on that, you know, like I said, we looked at a lot of churches and what a lot of churches believed. Understand that I only limited it to five. Not because that was all I looked at, but because of some of the other churches that I did look at, they didn't give you a whole lot of information. They did not give you a lot of information, whether it be on their About Us page or on like those tiny little small font links out at the bottom of the page that nobody ever scrolls through, their Church Constitution or Articles of Faith. They didn't even have one of those. So for the sake of that, I just left them off there. But if I had to bet, because I don't know, did anybody here actually go and like, hey, I have a friend who goes to that church. I'm going to go look up what they believe. Did anybody here look at any other churches what they believe? Okay interesting i know of a couple others who aren't here who have done that too uh, just because the church doesn't have anything on it doesn't mean that they well doesn't mean one way or the other that they are aligned with us or that they might be aligned with all these other churches point being if you have a final authority that you believe god's book is perfect In the original texts, the original manuscripts that Paul, Peter, and everybody wrote on 2,000 plus years ago, then you don't have a final authority. You don't, because none of those things exist anymore. That's what we spent last week looking on. So today, on your introduction, part one of the series ended on the fact that God's nature, specifically His holiness, righteousness, perfection, etc., requires there to be a single, consistent, and final authority for all people. Since God is holy, righteous, perfect, pure, and just he will always be consistent with his words and works that he has revealed to us we ended last week looking at that single consistent final authority this week we're going to see about how that single consistent final authority has been revealed we're talking about revelation generically speaking not the book generically speaking if god is not consistent with his own record then he is no longer perfect and should not be worshipped as God because that would make him a liar. And we saw that last week. This is exactly what Satan has been attempting to... This is exactly what Satan has been attempting to deceive people into believing since Adam and Eve. And therefore, it should be no surprise that we find the lost and saved trying to hide what God has made known. You know, one of the things I want to make clear too, uh, I don't believe, and you shouldn't either, j- that just because somebody at a different church says, well, our final authority is in the original texts that don't even exist anymore, that doesn't by, inha- by, by default make those people evil. And you shouldn't look at them as such. That's why I have on here that what the lost and saved, there are actually some genuinely saved people who've just been deceived because it's what their Bible college taught them or it's what their pastor taught them. And so what is it that they're trying to do? They're trying to hide what it is that God has been, has been revealed or what God has made known unto us through the Word of God. You have to be very, very careful that you don't just paint with a broad brush against everybody that, man, they're lost because they don't believe that or they're, they're completely evil because they don't believe that. you got to be careful with that, but make no mistake about it. Whether they intend to or not, they are under the guise of trying to hide what it is that God has revealed. There's a reason why discipleship, this kind of ties in with our Wednesday night study, there's a reason why discipleship is not actively done on a one-on-one basis in other churches like it is here. Because if everybody in the church knew what the pastor knew, that means he could be easily replaced. And to that, we say, good, because it keeps us accountable. But also, man, we want as many people to be able to know what we know so that you can go out and do the work so that we can do the work together. But when it comes to this issue of the Bible, man, so many people want to just hide the truth and they forget the fact that the greatest book in the Bible revealing God and who Jesus Christ actually is, is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. And they think that it's so apocryphal. They think that it's so cryptic. So part two, we're going to look at the revelation of God's truth. How is it that God has revealed truth to mankind all throughout the the centuries, the millennium? Point one, God has always revealed himself through the light of natural things. If you're one to take notes somewhere on your study sheet, you'll want to call part one. This is what's known or what we say is general revelation. It's generic. It's general. There's nothing very specific or, 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 or detailed about it. It's just revealing the light of who God is through natural things. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. Again, you might want to mark this down. That passage is the first time that the word reveal or any form of the word shows up in the Bible. And here is what the first mention of reveal has to talk about. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are what? Revealed. Belong unto us and to our children for how long? Yeah. So in other words, the things that God reveals, they're going to be around forever. And they're going to be to his children. Don't look now, but that's a verse on preservation. More on that next week to our children forever. They have to be here. God has to protect it. That we may do all the what? Words of this law. The very first mention of the word reveal or any form of the word in all the Bible has to do with preservation and it has to do with the word of God. Quite interesting. And another verse I think is just interesting in the New Testament helps kind of illustrate this a little bit better. Jesus is saying, fear them not, therefore, for there's nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. In other words, God is in the business of revealing things. He is not in the business of hiding things. Out of curiosity, does anybody here know what some churches or what some people, there's another name that they use for the book of Revelation. Does anybody know what it's called? It might actually be in the little subtitle in some of your Bibles. Maybe. starts with an A. Apocryphal? Close. It's called the Apocalypse. Oh. The apocalypse. And you guys have heard of that, right? The Apocalypse, the end of time, it's usually associated with that. What you are thinking of, though, Cece, is there's actually a group of books that are not considered to be a part of the Bible. Some people think that they are. That's called the Apocrypha, but it has the same root word, has the same meaning. Does anybody out of curiosity know what that word actually means? means hidden there are some people who think that the book of revelation should be called hidden as in you can't know what is said there you can't know what god means there and don't be wrong there's some freaky weird stuff that happens in revelation but if you just take the time to study it it all makes sense But there are some people who think that, no, no, no. See, there are certain things that God He keeps, He keeps hid and secret only to the elites, only to the hierarchy, not to the common folk. Jesus specifically said, hey, there's nothing hid that's gonna be that's not gonna be known. God is in the business of revealing things. And he does that through a number of ways. In Romans chapter 1, we find one of the most crucial areas of how God just generally speaking reveals truth. Look at verse 18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. You notice that word revealed there. He's in the business of revealing truth and unrighteousness of men. Sorry, I lost my place and who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be what Known. known of God is manifest. Another word for revealed in them for God hath showed it unto them how did he do it how did he reveal truth verse 20 for the invisible things of him from the what (laughs) we should have that Keurig up and running for Noah from the creation of the world are what clearly seen it's not hidden it's revealed it's out there for everybody to see and understand And that's why he says being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Somebody give me a brief snapshot as to what this passage is talking about. Anybody? It's a rule of Bible study. Yeah, Noah. Like through God's creation, you can see that he's there. Yeah. And how did he do that? He said specifically his Godhead. What's that word mean? What does Godhead mean? Carlin, it's the Trinity. The word Trinity is actually not in your Bible, but the Trinity is in your Bible, a word that's used as the Godhead. And you look all throughout creation and everything breaks down into threes. God is speaking to people. There are stories, you guys have heard me talk about this before, there are stories of missionaries who have gone to Africa where they've never seen a white man, never seen a Bible, no no idea who Jesus Christ is, but they know that there is an all-powerful being, an all-powerful creator. They've never gone to a bushman in any part of the world that has had no Western civilization or influence whatsoever and been like, I'm actually an evolutionist. Doesn't exist, doesn't happen, you have to be taught that. Missionaries have actually gone and said, we knew that this guy over here was worshipping the tree God, that guy over here was worshipping the river God, but we knew that there was someone who created all of this stuff. And then God would send a messenger into them with the, jump ahead here, Special revelation. But God does reveal things through the light of natural things. Point one, or the first checkbox under there, you see, He does it through creation. Man, we don't have time to check it out, but in Psalm 19, you want to look at that, those first six verses specifically. If time allows, we might jump into Psalm 19 to look at the second half of that chapter. But Psalm 19 is a goodie. Psalm 19 is where He talks about that man, there is no place where the, His line goes out. There's no place where creation does not speak. All of the heavens declare His majesty, declare. All of the earth declares the wondrous works of God. And it even talks about how there's nowhere where His line doesn't go. There's no place where nobody can't see the creation of God. It says that, he, that creation is like a bridegroom that comes out of His chamber ready to run a race reminded of Hebrews 12, that we are commanded to run a race with patience looking unto who? Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith because he ran the course before we did. Like a bridegroom who's ready to run a race. Creation is linked with Jesus Christ. Acts 14:17 says, Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, God has always been in the process of revealing things and that He did good. What, what, what was the witness? He gave us rain from heaven. You realize you look at rain? You'll find out a thing or two about the creation of God. You'll find out about a character attribute of God His holiness, His judgment, His wrath, and fruitful seasons. Study gardening. Study gardening. No, they're not allowed to touch them. You can, Andy. Study gardening. You'll learn a thing or two about God's truth. Filling our hearts with food and gladness. He left on himself a witness. It's all around. Next, Psalm 916, the first part of it says, The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. Another way that God has revealed truth is through the account of history i got to tell you, you study history, and you know what you'll find? It is a bloody, bloody mess. You guys are in Romans 1. In verse 20, we, we always emphasize verse 20 about the creation factor. But did you guys see in verses 18 and 19 the reason why he uses creation to speak? It's to condemn unrighteous mankind for the way that he lives his sinful life. That's what verses 18 and 19 are essentially telling you. It's revealing the wrath of God. You study out history, you'll find a thing or two about the wrath of God, the righteousness of God, the judgment of God as mankind. No different than Genesis chapter 4 when Cain slew Abel. It's always been a struggle. It's always been a battle of my will versus your will, of my right versus your right. And I got news for you in Revelation chapter 2 to 19. (laughs) The history of the last 2,000 years and then approximately seven years from this point in time, it's going to be no different. Bloodshed, warfare. God speaks through history. God speaks through the account of history. He reveals truth, but it's limited as we'll soon see. And lastly, we're in Romans. Look at chapter 2, verse 15. I need to read it for that one. Somebody in the front row. Okay, someone in the front two rows do you guys need help finding out where the passage is alright Jack go ahead which show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another third way that God reveals truth through the light of natural things is man's what his conscience the law of God is written on his conscience that's right These three components help make up what's called general revelation. And as we saw in Romans 1.20, it's so that mankind is without excuse. God speaks through these things. God reveals truth through these things. However, there's a sub-point on here. This revelation bears witness to the existence of God, the power of God, and the need for God. However, it does not testify to the personality of God, to the mind of God or the plan of salvation? It doesn't. It reveals truth through the light of natural things, but it's general, it's generic. It doesn't go into the nitty-gritties of everything we need to know, and that's why God gave us, in point number two, a special revelation. Why did He do that? Because in point number two, God is a communicator. And you might want to underline this. He desires to be known of His creation. It has always been about a relationship. You go back to the garden and you see it very clearly. You go into Revelation chapter 20 and 21 and 22 to look at the future, and it's about a relationship. You can even go back into Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, and Job chapter 1, Psalm 86, 82, and you'll see that even in eternity past, it was always about a relationship. God wants people, His creation, to know Him. How does he do it? Well, before we even get into how, you guys want to see the, and note the progression of these following verses here. This is crucial. Exodus 6.3, And I, God, appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob. By the name of God Almighty, it's how he revealed himself to them. But, but, by my name Jehovah, with a J, not a Yah, because we speak English It's not Yahweh, Andy. You missed that last week. It's Jehovah. But by my name and note how it's all caps. By my name Jehovah was I not what known to them? Jehovah is a name of God and it's the it's the self-existing God. It's the I am that I am. Literally in the New Testament Anybody note when there's a time that all caps appear? It's when God says, I am. Because in the New Testament, that all caps, Jehovah, is translated just like that. That's why when Jesus Christ says, I am, that I am, he's saying, I am the self-existing God. I am the most holy name of God. You ever wonder why this name is under so much scrutiny? There's a reason why there are certain Jews who they will spell it this way because if you start putting the vowels in there it becomes too holy of a word for them to say and so they take the vowels out I was actually on a a, a Jewish website last night talking about uh, I think it's called Temple Institute if you're ever looking for like some interesting Judeo or, or you know Jewish history you go there but even them they would spell spell it like that where they take the O out Because the name of God is so holy that they can't even say it. That's the reason why when Jesus Christ said that, they literally were this close to stoning him to death right there on the spot because they were so angered and enraged. It's the self-existing God. It's the I have no creator. I am the creator. I have always been. They know him as God Almighty, but they don't know him as Jehovah. That's why you guys have heard my story, and maybe this is the same for some of you in this room. You may know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and your soul is saved, and your seat is placed in heaven, according to Ephesians 2. But as far as Him being the Lord and controller of your life, the Lord of your life that is in charge of every asset and every aspect of your life, you don't know Him as such. Because you're still dictating what it is that you want to do and how you want to live your life because hey I'm going to heaven when I die so I'll just do what I want it's kind of the same thing they knew him as God almighty but they didn't know him as the as the self-existent I am by Jehovah I was not known unto them that's why Isaiah 52:6 says therefore my people shall know my name that name Therefore they shall know in that day that I am he that doth what? Speak. He wants to be known by his creation, and he's going to speak it this time. That's why Isaiah 83, keep tracking the progress, keep tracking how this goes, how this flows. Isaiah or Psalm 83, 18, that men may know that thou whose name alone is what? Good, I heard some hard J's there. That was good. That, thou, that Whose name alone is Jehovah art the Most High over all the earth. Again, God is wanting His name to be revealed and known as such. Now, Psalm ninety-one fourteen. This is God speaking. And when He says He and Him here, you can substitute your name here if the condition at the end is true for you. Or I guess the condition at the beginning is true for you. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high. Why? Because he hath known my name. If you need to explain to anybody what God's heart really is of being known by his creation, take them to these four verses because nothing will illustrate that clearer. So beautiful to see how God is a communicator. He wants to be known, and he's communicated it. He's communicated how. But you look all throughout history, and you'll see how is it that he has revealed himself. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 3. We're not going to look at all of these, but man, I'll tell you what. If there was ever something that you just wanted to check out on your own, check out the verses that we don't look at today. How is it that God has specifically revealed himself and attempted to communicate to his creation throughout history? Well, in the very first checkpoint on your study sheet, God did it himself. Himself is the plank. God is a communicator and desires to be known of his creation. How did he do that? Well, in times past, he just used himself. Genesis 3.8 says that it was after Adam and Eve sinned and it says that they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day and he asked them, where are you? God himself in the garden would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. As a side note, if you want to check this out later, here's what the other top four translation say about Genesis 3.8. Again, I'll read King James. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden because they had already sinned. NIV. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. New Living Translation, a version that's used by a lot of Catholics. When the cool evening breezes were blowing... The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. ESV, the touchstone version of a lot of Calvinists. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. CSB, Christian Standard Bible. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. So poetic. The time of the evening breeze. (laughs) What's missing? What's missing? What's the main difference in all of that besides the evening breeze? Can't mention that one. Carlin? The voice. The voice is missing. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking. You want to walk with God? You know what our Bible teaches? You want to walk with God? It's connected with His voice. Whereas the others, the sound, just hearing him walk, the sound, the sound of the Lord God. You realize the valuable truth that you're missing by just one word being taken out. Just one word being, nay, not taken out, substituted. Oh yes, because it's not just about adding and subtracting. There's substitutions that we'll look at in later weeks, too. God himself will reveal himself. Genesis 32, that's where God himself wrestled with Jacob. Exodus 3, it says that God himself... What's going on in Exodus 3? Anybody know from your Sunday school classes? It's before Pharaoh and the plagues. I heard Moses whispered, What about Moses? Yeah, you do. Before the plagues, what happened? That was after. Is anybody in their heads going through, like, before the plague? Moses had to be given a commission, didn't he? Not the mountain. Burning bush, yes! The burning bush. However, something that's kind of neat, you go back and check that passage out. It says that God himself came down in the midst of the burning bush. And then he spoke out of the burning bush. I always just picture it as a bush on fire speaking. You look at the first part of that of that chapter. God Himself came down. First Samuel chapter three. We're not going to look at this whole story. Look verse one. The child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. You know who Eli was? He was the priest of God. He was the guy who was supposed to be the mediator. He was supposed to be the guy who was doing the temple duties, who was going into the tabernacle, offering the sacrifices on behalf of the people. And as you study chapter 2, you look at who his kids were, and you look at what kind of a leader he was, he was a very lame leader. And that's why at the end of verse 1, it says, the word of the Lord was precious in, when? Yeah, for those of you students of the Bible, those days were very ominous terms. There was no open vision. You want clear vision as to where you're going in life? You want clear vision as to what God wants you to do next year, what classes to take, where to go to school, who to date, etc. You want clear vision? It's connected to the precious words of God. But in those days, there was no open vision. There was no clarity from the leadership. There was no clarity of what to do. Back then, and it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place at a time that he should have been standing and ministering, he's laying down. And his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. They're growing dimmer. The light of his eyes are about to go out. And not only that, verse 3, in error or before the lamp of god went out in the temple of the lord where the ark of god was that light was never supposed to go out but they were about ready to you know it's funny in church history of revelation chapters two and three god equates each church with a candlestick and he specifically warns that if a church period is not doing the duties that they should be doing he's going to remove that candlestick the light of God is about to go out. Will it go out with our generation? Will your generation be the one that lets the light of the Lord go out? That's why we're covering what we're covering Wednesday nights. Samuel was laid down to sleep. Then the Lord called Samuel and he answered, Here am I. You know the story, maybe you don't. He goes to Eli, thinks Eli's calling him. And this thought happens two other times. Eli goes, Maybe God is trying to get your attention. So in verse 10, look what happens. And the Lord came. Verse 10. The Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. You ever have those times where you have no idea what to pray? That's a great prayer to pray. Lord, speak. I'll listen. Your servant is listening, which implies... You're ready and willing to do whatever it is that he shows and reveals to you as a result of that. So you better be ready to make sure that your heart is prepared to do whatever it is that he reveals to you. God himself would speak. Next, we have visions. Genesis 15, 1. We saw that a couple Wednesdays ago, or was it this past Wednesday? Who knows? They're all running together. Where God reve- or spoke through a vision to Abraham. Daniel chapter 8. The entire book of Daniel is visions, 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 and a couple others, as we'll soon see. He also speaks through dreams, or excuse me, not speaks present tense, spoke. I wanted to correct myself and make sure it was very, very clear because some people think that he still speaks through dreams. And we will prove that wrong in just a little bit. He spoke through dreams joseph a couple times for that first kings chapter three is a beautiful passage of solomon god came to solomon in a dream and he says it's almost like you ever see aladdin or any story a genie make three wishes you know it's kind of funny in that story we're laughing but do you guys remember what solomon's request was when god said what is it you want from me he said wisdom and a discerning heart to execute judgment, to have discernment, to guide the people. And God says, because you didn't ask for money, because you didn't ask for long life, and because you didn't ask for the lives of your enemies, the three things that most everybody always asks for in those fables, whenever they get a genie. Wealth, eternal life, and power. He's like, because you did that, I will grant you Wisdom. And how that chapter ends is Solomon is put in a place where he needs to make a discerning decision. And you know what he gets out in order to help him? A sharp two edged sword. Next, anybody know what happened in Numbers 22? I only have one crossover on there because it's the only time that it happens in all of human history. has to do with a man named Balaam, the donkey. God spoke through animals. God would use animals to speak. Balaam was about to go make a really dumb decision. And so God opened the mouth of a donkey to correct him. Freaky story. Here's one that you guys have probably never heard of. Urim and Thummim. Say that five times fast. Urim and Thummim. In Exodus 28.30, it says this. Talking about the what? Yeah, name. Thumim, how? Thumim, Urim, uh-huh. verse thirty, Exodus twenty-eight. And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thumim. You know who wore the breastplate back in Exodus? It was the priest. It was the high priest. That's why he says, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goeth in before the Lord. And Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. Urim and Thummim were these stones that were hid underneath the breastplate. In fact, again, on one of these websites, I got this image here. This is Typically, what a an Old Testament priest looked like. He would have these breastplates, and each of these stones, these gems, they would represent one stone from the tribe uh, from a tribe of Israel. And underneath the breastplate, they would have these two stones of Urim and Thummim, and it would be that whenever somebody had, guys, come on, who are you guys for? It was funny at first, but not anymore. All right, the stones. Whenever whenever somebody would come to the priest. See, look, no vowels, by the way, Yahweh, Jehovah. Whenever somebody came with an issue, they would ask the priest. And the way that God would communicate is Urim and Thummim, the stones behind the breastplate, would shine light because Urim means lights. Thummim means perfection. Light would radiate through these stones and each of the lights of each whatever stone it was it was God spelling out a letter and it would spell out a letter like against the wall or something and whenever it was done with the vision or the revelation it would form a sentence of what God's will was for that particular person who came to the priest if you think it sounds like a Ouija board it kind of was it was a glorified holy Ouija board essentially It only shows up a couple of times in scripture, but if you want an interesting story, write down 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 6 through 12, God spoke through the breastplate that Abiathar wore. He was the priest then. That's why in Numbers 27, verse 21, it says, And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim. Again, it has to do with judgment. Judgments, especially the plural form of that, that's another word for God's word. It's how God spoke. It's all throughout Psalm 119. You can check that out. You ever wonder why in Proverbs chapter 6... If you want to write this passage down too? proverbs 6 verses 20 and 21 it says hey your father's commandment bind it upon your heart your father's commandments you should bind them upon thine heart it's a picture of the priestly garb and remember christian you were called a new testament priest god's word should be on your heart thy word have i hid in my heart that what might not sin against thee next Daniel 8 Luke chapter 1 and many many other places you'll see that God spoke through angels Daniel was getting the, the pick of the litter dreams visions and angels he got them all and he was a prophet next prophets 2nd Samuel 12 7 Nathan comes to call out David for his sin and he says the Lord hath said thou art the man David Isaiah 6 oh Isaiah was a prophet God is saying, Whom shall I go to? Who shall I put my words in their mouth? Isaiah goes, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Another great prayer to pray when you don't know what to ask. might want to mark that down. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 1. This is critical. This is mission critical. We come to the eighth and final way that God has spoken might want to mark down that it's 8 because not only does that number mean new beginnings as you trace it through the Bible that number eight is also very very significant when it comes to what we're talking about in the weeks to come eight ways that God has specifically communicated to his creation that he wants to be known Corey, why are you going to Hebrews? This is kind of weird. One side note as to why I'm going to Hebrews is because it is the only book in your entire Bible where the very first word is God. No other book in all of your Bible starts out with God. Hebrews is the only one. That stands out you're reading along in your Bible and you come up to Hebrews 1 and you look at verse 1 of chapter 1 and it says, God, look what he says, who at sundry times, well, the previous seven things we just looked at, they happened at sundry times, happened at many different times from Genesis all the way up to the prophets in Malachi. At sundry times and in diverse manners. And you look at the list of the previous seven things we just looked at, and it don't get more diverse than going from God Himself to a donkey speaking. Pretty diverse, I would say. Who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Yeah, that's one of which. And as we looked at in our spiritual gifts class, prophet or prophesying is another way of preaching, prof- pro- proclaiming forth. God's word, through various means and at different times. That's what he did in the past. Verse 2. So God, verse 2, hath in these last days. That should speak volumes to you as well. There's a lot of talk about, hey, are today is, is right now the last days? Is right now the end of time? Is, are we in the end times right now? I got news for you suckas we've been in the last times since the death of Christ the last time started when Jesus Christ was walking on this planet because as we've talked about before had Israel received their King even after they put him on the cross and God gave them another opportunity in the very next book in the Acts of the Apostles when Stephen is preaching Had they repented of what they did and the nation of Israel received him as their king, boom. Rapture would have happened. Tribulation period would have gone into effect right then and there. It's so crystal clear as you read it. God is standing on the right hand of God as Stephen is being stoned. All of the events of Revelation would have unfolded just like that. Remember, this 2,000 years of a church period we're living in, it's a parenthesis. On God's timeline, as you study out Old Testament prophecy and into the new, we were at the end times when Christ was here. We're on borrowed time right now. That's when the last days started. God hath in these last days spoken unto us by His what, Son. He does not speak through dreams anymore. He does not speak through visions anymore. If you got a dream from God telling you you're supposed to go to this college or she's the love of your life, I'm not doubting that you didn't have a visitor. I'm just doubting it came from God. Because God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds. Have fun with that one. Verse 3. Who? Being the brightness of His glory and the express what? Image. Sight. Visual. You have to see the sun. The express image of His person and upholding all things by the what? Word of His power. When he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high problem god in these last days has spoken to us by his son but his son is currently speaking on the right hand of the father how can god speak to us if he's not here maybe there's some hints that we already saw highlighted in these first three verses Back on your outline, or I guess rather up here on the screen. Other verses just help illustrate this. Colossians two nine says, For in Him, Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead, there's that word again, bodily. In Christ, you have everything that you need, is what that verse is saying. Everything to know His will for your life, everything to know Him is found in Christ. In John 14, Jesus Himself even said this, Believest thou not that I am... In the Father, and the Father in me, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Remember, as we said in our introduction, the words and works have to match. If there is a single, consistent, final authority, it's because it matches his nature. Single, consistent. The words and the works match. We looked through all of his works recently, in the last 6,000 years of human history, He's going to be consistent in that. Eight ways we just looked at. And now there's a sub-point under this one. This is not a number nine. Because of what John 1, 1 and verse 14 says. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word, it's a written Word, was with God. And the Word was God. We're going to look at written word here in a little bit. Because, yeah, there's spoken word, but there's also written word. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I I didn't want to take the time to do it because it's just the whack jobs of Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, and Mormons. But do you know what their Bible says? And the word was a God. Lowercase g. That's what their Bible says. Jesus Christ is equated to the Word. He is the Word in print form. Well, that's what John had to say about him. Oh, let's see if the other writers of the New Testament had anything to say. Here's an odd one to throw out there, but 2 Timothy 4.13. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but specially the parchments. You guys know how much I love these obscure verses. These are the ones that as you're reading your Bible slowly, you just stand back and you're like, wow. Context, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Who's speaking? Paul. What's the context of 2 Timothy? He's about to die. How many chapters are in the book? Four. You have about seven more verses left. But everything after this is him just saying his goodbyes, essentially. But the last thing that he mentions, as he's about ready to have his head cut off, he is begging Timothy. And he would say later on, do your best to come before winter. Great devotional truth found in that. You have very limited time to accomplish what you need to accomplish. Do thy diligence to come before winter. And he says, when you come, bring the cloak. You know what's interesting is you study church history. It doesn't say it for sure here, but when you study church history, you know how many times people would be on the run for their lives and they'd gather maybe in a room tinier than this with twice the amount of people in here and somebody would take off their coat, put it on a pulp. And you're like, all right, you guys have your parchment and pen? Write this down. All right. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother. Am I going too fast? Come on, you guys. We got to, we don't, you guys hear something? Somebody out there? All right, no. Come on, write quickly. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother. Okay, we got to go. I'm going to put it back on. You read stories of guys throughout church history back when the Bible was outlawed. The only way they could get a copy of it was because it was written on the inside of their coat. And when they would meet together like this, they would take their coat off and start preaching from it. And people in the audience would be taking diligent notes to make a copy of one of Paul's letters. But then he says, the books but especially the parchments now why such an emphasis on the written word this is the Apostle Paul we're talking about if God speaks through visions and dreams why not just call Lord I could really use some encouragement from your word right now can you speak to me in a vision can you speak to me when I dream tonight this is the last thing that Paul ever wrote because the apostolic gifts of God working that way are starting to cease. Remember, the Son is on the right hand of the Father and he makes an emphasis three times. The cloak, the books, the parchments that some of these books were written on. The written word. Not a vision, not from a prophet, the written word. Mm, I really want to look at the rest of these passages. James 1. You don't have to turn there, I'll just try summarizing it. James 1. We are to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. And we are to look at. To look at. Remember Hebrews is the express image. We are to look into the perfect law of liberty like a man who beholds his natural face in a glass. You guys saw me do it when we covered the book of James. It is something to look into. Not to hear a prophetic word from a preacher. Uh, not, to, not to receive in a dream or in a vision. It is to look into the perfect law of liberty. This is where God's Word is found today. Because God, who sundry times in a diverse manner spoken to us in times past by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by His Son, the written Word, contained within books and parchments and cloaks in some cases. Second Peter 1. Turn there. We'll end here. As far as your turning is concerned. 2 Peter 1. Speaking of visions. Speaking of dreams. Speaking of hearing. Audible voices. Peter recounts the transfiguration. We talked about this pa- that this past Wednesday. Check out the podcast if you missed it. This past Wednesday where he sees... God in all of his glory. And he hears the audible voice of God the Father. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Verse 19. In spite of that, Peter says, he went through it. He was an eyewitness himself. And he says in verse 19, we have also a more sure, certain, firm, fixed word of prophecy. Where can that be found in? Is it found through a preacher? Is it found through a vision? Is it found through a dream? No. Verse 20. He says it very clearly. That this sure word of prophecy is called the script. scripture, Sure. The written word. And there's no prov- private interpretation of it. And more on verse 21 next week. So we got Paul. We have, well, we have Jesus first. Then we have Paul. Then we have James. Then we have Peter. You look at Revelation and what John wrote. All of the authors of the New Testament. Eh, excluding Jude. Sorry, Jude. And the gospel writers. We're talking New Testament church. Revelation ends where, Paul, or where John, as he's writing, points out that in the judgment, there's going to be books opened that's why i threw the daniel chapter 7 verse in there too because daniel 7 talks about the books are going to be open to judge god is not going to judge using anything else except for books to judge mankind to judge lost mankind by the books are going to be opened on that day in revelation last point The Bible is God's comprehensive collection of divine details that reflect and reveal the infinite, immutable, immeasurable, omnipotent, omnipotent, um omnipresent, and almighty God to his creation because he wants to be known. Psalm 138 says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Because without the word, we wouldn't know his name. And remember, he wants his name to be known, which is why the word is missing from all of these other stupid translations. You have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. For your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. No, no, no. It's word above name. Not both of them exalted together, ESV. You have exalted your name and your promise above everything else. Things that are different are not the same. That's why John would write in chapter 21, verse 25... That there's a lot of things that Jesus did that I suppose that if everything was recorded, the world couldn't be able to contain them. And that's why he says in chapter 20, verse 30, many other signs truly to Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Why? That ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. This is written so that you might know his name. Listen, as we end rapidly, I understand that you guys might be familiar with all these verses, but you have to understand the idea of God still speaking contained in the written word is lost on many people. Do you see the reason why it's lost on them? because they don't really have a final authority that they can believe and trust every word. That's why important for you to know this. And this is why, we're gonna get into like the preservation stuff next week. What's really gonna hit a lot of us home. And then some manuscript stuff about history. You guys need to understand very thoroughly these past two weeks if you want to have good solid conversations with your friends about this stuff. Be well acquainted with the things we looked at today and last week.